0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to 1030 Church. Uh, I'm Gavin, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you properly. Uh, We're up to episode three of season two in in, uh, 1 Samuel looking for a leader. I I, I mentioned last week that my daughter is in Peru at the moment and that God organised small details from an old missionary friend to go to a church where she was. She ended up going to church. You'll be glad to know. And uh, at the church she went to, she heard the Great Commission preached in Spanish. And uh, 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 the German man who uh, was hosting my daughter, uh, they observed the irony that uh, here is a message for all the world. Uh, Lucy, who can understand a bit of Spanish, was being reminded with a congregation that had Spanish speaking Peruvian people and Quechuan Peruvian people that the Lord has given us a job to make the disciples of all the nations. And uh, she was experiencing that in a different kind of way in Peru. The Lord is the Lord of small details and big details. So let me pray as we come to this passage. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, We thank you for your word that you may open our hearts and open our minds to your majesty and your sovereignty. Uh, Through your actions in the life of Samuel and Saul, help us to see that you are our King, that you raised up a rescuer then, and you raised up a rescuer now for us in the person of Jesus. Help us to hear this part of your word that we may praise you as our sovereign God with all our heart. Amen. Uh, One of the things that this part of the Bible gets us to wrestle with is the whole uh, relationship and and tension between God is sovereign over all things and humans are responsible for their actions and their choices. We see it in this section that's going for a few chapters. On one hand, Israel make decisions for themselves in the request that we want a king like all the other nations. And on the other hand, all the way through this narrative, God is organising the small details and moving the story forward to show us that he is the one who is in control and he will raise up a rescuer for his people." Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, we're in the middle of a story arc that really goes from chapter 8 to chapter 12, and you might give it the heading, The Rise of Saul. Uh, We're also doing the next few chapters after that, which you can give the heading, The Fall of Saul. But in this section, we're seeing how God chooses Saul to be a rescuer of the people. And uh, I really want to tease you with a flash forward from chapter 12 that I think will help us understand what's going on in chapter 10. In chapter 12, uh, it's really the recording of uh, Samuel's last speech to the people uh, in his role as leader, prophet, priest that he has been. It's a handover of power period where Samuel formally says, here's the king you've chosen in Saul. I'm not your leader anymore. It's all over to you. And uh, as part of that speech, and we'll come back to it in a couple of weeks' time, uh, Samuel says this. When you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, now immediately say, who's that? I want you to remember that name, Nahash, king of the Ammonites. We'll bump into him shortly. When you saw that Nahash king of the Ammonites was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord, your God, was king. Here is the king that you have chosen. And I can imagine him pointing to Saul, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord, good. And the speech goes on. What I especially wanted you to notice is the two points of view embedded in 1 Samuel 12, 12 to 13. Here is the king that you have chosen, the one that you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. Now, as we feel the wrestle of God's sovereignty and human responsibility for Israel's actions in asking for a human king, not God as their king, we see that in this part of uh, 1 Samuel, there's a tension And I want you to see and the Bible unfolds through this to show us that these two views aren't incompatible with each other. On one hand we can say here is the king that you have chosen and on the other hand they can say here is the king that the Lord has set over you. There are two points of view that come together to help us see how the richness of God's sovereignty works through human agents. Now, I want you to come with me to chapter 10 and see how these two points of view worked. Uh, My two main points are POV1 and POV2. The cool kids like to write that on their Instagrams. I'm not a cool kid, so I don't know what it means, but I've done it anyway. (laughs) And the first POV that we see when we come to this part of, the, uh, of 1 Samuel, is it's God who chooses Saul as the king. Point of view, number one. And uh, in the first part of chapter 10, there's two things that we notice. In 9 to 13, we see that a sign is fulfilled, which tells us God's plan is being rolled out here. Here is what God said would happen, and it happened. And the second thing we see is that God's prophecy is withheld. And both these things come together to remind us that God is in control here. It's God who's calling the shots. It's God who chooses Saul as a king. So when we come to chapter 10, we pick it up in verse nine, which was our last verse that we finished on last week. And it says this, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. Now, in our first point of view, we see that God is at work behind the scenes, bringing the small details together to raise up a rescuer in the person of Saul. And in verse 10, we see that uh, the... Encounter with the prophets is what God expected and God anticipated. So as we read through this part of chapter 10, we're reminded that God is fulfilling his plan and his purpose to raise up Saul to be a rescuer of God's people. In the last chapter, we saw that he was physically anointed with oil in the practice of making kings In this uh, this part of the chapter, in verse 10, we see that uh, Saul is also anointed by the Holy Spirit. So we want to slow down and see God at work here. And verse 10 says, When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. Now, as we're thinking about God's point of view here, here's a strong underline that God is in control of what's going on. Here is an affirmation that God is raising up for his people someone who will be a rescuer for Israel. And not only now is he anointed by oil as a sign of uh, his authority as a new king, but now he's anointed by the Holy Spirit uh, we get a little glimpse into life in the land of Judges where there were bands of prophets who roamed the land prophesying and teaching and praising the Lord. And we could spend a lot more time uh, thinking about it. It's a significant moment for Saul because it's remembered by the people and in verse 12 the narrator tells us that this moment even becomes proverbial. A man who lived there answered, who is their father? So it became a saying is Saul also amongst the prophets. After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. Now, the important thing for us to see is God at work here. That's the clue that God is sovereign in raising up his king. In verse nine, God changes Saul's heart. In verse 10, the spirit of the Lord comes powerfully on Saul to remind us, here is the one that God has chosen to be the rescuer of his people. Uh, The second thing we notice under point of view one, that God is the one who chooses Saul as the king, is the conversation in verse 14 and 16. Uh, As Saul returns to Gibeah, he meets up with his uncle. And his uncle says, where have you been? You know where he's been, if you were with us last week. He's been looking for the lost donkeys. We couldn't find them, says Saul. So we went to Samuel. Samuel's uncle said, tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said, he assured us that the donkeys had been found. The thing that he doesn't tell his uncle at this point is that, oh yeah, and Samuel made me king of all Israel as well. Which as readers of the narrative, we're kind of thinking, why doesn't he speak about that? And uh, over coffee, we could spend some time thinking about that. I think at least in the narrative, that's there to remind us there are only two humans who know about uh, Saul's selection, Samuel who uh, anointed Uh, Saul with oil and the Lord. So, so far, God's plan is a hidden plan. It hasn't been revealed. Uh, The first point of view shows us here and reminds us again that this is God's plan to make Saul king, the rescuer of Israel. And it really affirms what we saw back in chapter 9. God says, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people for their cry has reached me. So as we think about what Samuel says at his speech in chapter 12, we're reminded this is the first point of view. See that the Lord has set a king over you. Well, the second point of view uh, is taken up in the rest of the chapter. Uh, Here is the king that you have chosen. Here is the one that you asked for. And when we have a look at verse 17 to 27, uh, we see that Israel selects a human king Through the process of drawing lots, that reminds us it's a strange place with strange times and strange practices. And I want you to notice four things about uh, this point of view. From the people's point of view, they're asking for a king like the nations. And they use the practice of casting lots to choose their next king from all the male fighting males of Israel. Uh, the scene starts in 17. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah. It's a big gathering. Samuel carries the weight of that kind of authority and all the tribes come and gather at this moment. And uh, Samuel tries to talk them out of what they're about to do next, which if you've read chapter 8, shouldn't surprise us. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. You have said, no, appoint a king over us. Now, as they have a public gathering, of all the tribes of Israel, I think this is a moment where Samuel wants to say, are you sure you want to do this? You have God as your king. Why do you want a human like the nations? And we read in verse 19, the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the... Uh, all the nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. So Samuel, with all the tribes of Israel gathered, says to them, present yourselves to the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And Samuel goes through the process of casting lots in order to raise up a king. You'll notice the tension here of Israel saying, here's the king that we want to choose through casting lots. And here's the king that God provides in directing the choice of the king. Uh, Let me make a comment about the wisdom of casting lots. Uh, In the ancient world, lots were cast for a whole range of reasons. I won't look at all that detail. Lots were cast to discern what direction you should travel in. Lots were cast to discern God's will in battle. Should I attack on the east side or attack down in the valley? Lots were cast to share the winnings of any battles of other, uh, other towns and kings. And lots were cast to uh, discern the boundaries of the land for God's people. But here we see that lots are cast to choose a new king. Uh, Proverbs keeps us informed in thinking about lots, casting lots. And I like Proverbs 16:33. A lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So Samuel goes through the processes of casting lots to find out which tribe the king will come from, then which clan will the king come from, then which family will the king come from, and then which person from that family will be king of Israel. And that's what we see in verses 20 to 23. Samuel cast lots, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, person by person. Uh, and we see it in verse 20. When Samuel had made all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot, then from the tribe of Benjamin, the clan of Metri, and then from the clan of Metri, the family of Kish, and then from the family of Kish, Saul. Uh, It's extraordinary thing that the king we already know had been anointed by God is the king that's elected through this process of casting lot. Where is he? They ask. We don't know. And in verse 22, they inquire of the Lord. Has the man come here? The Lord said, yes, he's hidden himself among the supplies. Now you've got to scratch your head a little bit and say, what is going on in that? I think it highlights the fact that God's plan is unfolding And uh, Saul, who's hiding in the supplies, is waiting for the Lord's plan to come afresh. And in verses 23 to 24, the king is revealed, Saul, tall, dark, and handsome. And in verse 23, they ran and brought him out. He stood among the people. He was a head taller than any of the others. And Samuel said to all the people, all the tribes gathered, Do you see the man that the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And the people shouted, Long live the king! So from a human point of view, the people of Israel go through the process of choosing a king uh, through uh, through casting of lots. And it's the one that the Lord has already anointed. There's something marvellous about God's sovereignty in all that timing. In verse 25, uh, Samuel goes through all the details of what... uh, He reminds the tribes of the rights and duties of the king. Here is the king that you have chosen, the one you asked for. And in verse 25, Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. Now we can read about the rights and expectations of kings back in chapter 8. It was part of the information that Samuel tried to say, Do you really want to do this? Yes, we want a king like all the other nations who will help us in battle. So at the end of this scene, The tribes of Israel return home with their king. And we've got to ask ourselves the question as Christians reading this part of the Bible. What are the implications for us? There's two things that I want you to notice especially. The first one is this. God is sovereign. And we should praise him. We've seen how the sovereignty of God has worked in this particular scene of choosing uh, uh, Saul to be the rescuer, of uh, God organising the small details of Israel's life to provide one who will rescue them. He is in control of the small details, and now we see that he's in control of the big details. God, in his sovereignty, raises kings up. And bring kings down, which is why I, uh, I got uh, Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, I don't want to unpack the context, but rather he shows us how to praise the sovereign God. And uh, we see his praise. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons, he deposes kings and he raises others up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness. Light dwells in him. I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. And so Daniel prays. One of the implications for us reading this passage is that it's an invitation for us to remind ourselves again that God is in control of the small details and the large details, and so it's appropriate for us to praise him in our hearts. We almost had three songs in a row at the start of our service, a small opportunity for us to praise God in our hearts. Through this passage, that's what God is calling us to do. Our God is a sovereign God. He raises kings up. He gives wisdom. He reveals the hidden things. Light dwells in him. Which really points us further on to Jesus. When you come to Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have just escaped prison. They praying together and in their prayer, they pray this. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed They did what your power and will had decided beforehand. God is sovereign. He raised Jesus up to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He rescued us through the death of Jesus that we might have forgiveness. Which brings us to the second implication I want us to think about. In 1 Samuel 10, we see that God keeps his promises and he raises up a king who will rescue his people. And we're working through this unfolding story in this part of the Bible. But it's good for us to see that Saul is a type of rescuer that points us to Jesus. Uh, God has already said, I will send a man from the land of Benjamin anoint him ruler over my people. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people for their cry has reached me. And as we see God raise up a rescuer for them, then we're reminded that God has raised up a rescuer for us now in the person of Jesus. If you were with us in our time in Colossians, I loved uh, verses 13 and 14 in chapter one, it says, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Chapter 10 of one Samuel reminds us that God raises up a rescuer for he hears the cry of his people. And it points us to the great rescuer that has come. Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. I want to finish with the epilogue. Uh, Samuel sent all the tribes back to their home places And in verse 26, we read, Saul also went home uh, to his home in Gibeah. He was accompanied by men whose hearts God had touched. For some that day, they thought, we have a new God, a new king, not a new God. We have a new king who uh, will rescue us from our enemies. In verse 27, we read that there are scoundrels in Israel. How can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts, but Saul kept silent. And when we get to the next chapter, it says this, Nahash, the Ammonite, went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. How can this fellow save us? If you want to know what happens next, you've got to come back next week. Let me pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you raise up kings and bring kings down, that you raise up rulers and bring rulers down. We thank you that all sovereignty is in your hands. We thank you that you reveal the mystery that we might know who you are and what you have done. We thank you that all this points us to Jesus, our great rescuer, who rescued us out of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son you love, in whom we have forgiveness and redemption. Amen.